1: hello and welcome to the edh retcast where we're all about commander data and dad jokes i'm joey schultz and i'm joined by my fantastic co-host spoiler alert if you want to know all about the who done it at the mysteries at karlov manor it turns out that the culprit behind it all was matt morgan
0: how's it going joey it's good to be back um i thought about writing a humorless joke intro for everybody here but Where would the pun be in that? And so I just,
1: (laughs) I decided not to, I, I have to have a little bit of humor every week. Okay, I adore that. That's great. Uh, But also, real quick, I just have to say, you have no idea how many times I had to rehearse my intro joke for you to make sure that it didn't Uh say Markov Manor instead of like that. I had to say Karlov Manor. (laughs) I swear, I'm going to mix that up every single time that I say that set name.
0: (laughs) I'm pretty sure Wizards of the Coast employees are messing that up every now and then too. That that little
1: foible of Karlov versus
0: Markov, Um, (laughs) it's it's an easy mistake to make.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just the name Murders at Markov Manor just rolls off the tongue so instinctively that absolutely uh, I'm always going to need to rehearse that. Rehearse that. It's Karlov Manor. Karlov Manor. Anyway, Matt, what are we talking about on the show this week? So this week we are going to talk about
0: decks we built that maybe exceeded or didn't meet our expectations. Every time people build a deck, we we all have expectations in place for what we think the deck is going to do. And just sometimes the decks, they don't get there or they just go above and beyond.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, to infinity and beyond even. Or oh, since th- I, I like that. You, sh- you should make that a catchphrase. Well, and, and since this is uh, a, a magic podcast, I guess to unfinity and beyond? No, or- no, 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 no. Good point. Not that. Yeah. So it's uh. just the two of us. And we're going to talk about some decks that surprised us. I'm excited to get into it. But we've got some shout outs to do before we get to it. First thing we want to do is thank Chase, aka Mana Curves, for such fantastic work on the post production of the show. Chase, thank you so much for helping make this show happen. You absolutely rock. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by subscribing on YouTube, leaving a review
0: on your podcast app, or you can go to patreon.com slash edhretcast, where we have patron tiers of all sorts of levels. If you, you want to join our Discord community, you can do that for just $2 a month, where you can see all of our historic challenges, stats, picks. There's all that and more over at patreon.com slash edhretcast, including the coveted weekly patron shout-out. It's a new year, but we're still going to have the same shout-outs because that's what everybody's here for, really. So this week, we're going to give a very special shout-out, a very uh, redeeming shout-out to Marston Kelly. Hopefully, you weren't named after John Marston from Red Dead Redemption because that would be... A, you'd be very young, but also... You would be named after a very good video game character. Uh, Matt, I got to level with you. I have no idea what your dad joke there on the shout out was supposed to be or mean. No, no, no I'm just I'm just name dropping John Marston from Red Dead Redemption. Um, technically we well, yeah, Red Dead Redemption and Red Dead Redemption 2, which is a Rockstar Games, very expansive world. It's basically <laughs> I, I I'm gonna get sidetracked here, so let's get back to I the was show, just I, say Either way, Marston Kelly, thank you so much for wasting
1: so much of my time <laughs> when we're not here on the podcast. Thank you, Marston. That Matthew, that was surreal. All right, let's get into <laughs> our main topic here. We're talking about some decks that surprised us. Um as you said, yeah, we when we build decks or when we play against decks, we have probably different expectations about how those things might go. So these will be different decks that surprised us during the brewing stages, surprised us when we played them, maybe in good ways, maybe in bad ways. Where would you like us to start off, Matt? I mean, we can really go either way. I know that kind of the deck for me that inspired this when we were talking about a
0: potential topic for this was my Council of Four deck. And it's a deck that you, if you've listened to 20 minutes of an episode, you know that I don't really like playing blue all that often. And mm. so, Council of Four being in Azorius colors just isn't something that I normally like to do. I mean, jo-
1: jo- you know me, Joey. Yeah. No, you just like when you said that you were building something blue, it was just like, who are you and what have you done with Matt Morgan? <laughs> like, it just- yeah, it'd be like you not building a deck with black in it. it just that's just
0: not how we work. Well, uh, so yeah. having this Azorius deck that I was like, OK, like this looks kind of cool. And the only reason I built it was because I had a fancy different version foil of Council of Four. So I built the deck mm. and I always wanted to have a deck that kind of adjusted to what my opponents were doing. Uh, Sheldon Menery had a you did this to yourself deck. Where yeah. it's just literally whatever you do, he's going to turn around and, and make you pu- be punished for it. So that was the inspiration for the deck. And Council of Four just happened to line up with that perfectly.
1: Yeah, that's the really cool Azorius legend that whenever your opponents are drawing extra cards, so will you. And then whenever your opponents are playing lots of spells, you'll get a bunch of tokens in play. And I, man, I've seen you kind of like the, the amount of times that those abilities both trigger i know playing against your deck mm-hmm. that was surprising to me because i feel like i've seen some of those abilities before like on monologue tax and stuff and i kind of wrote them off because i didn't figure that they were all that reliable after all but your council of four deck triggers both abilities near every turn which is just bug nutty to observe
0: yeah it it was kind of surprising to me how a how well the deck performed like people just happen to be doing things and i think the reason that i didn't Really anticipate this doing so well is because there's so many abilities. I was like, well, people aren't always going to cast two spells, but there's a lot of abilities that just happen to be drawing people cards. So that was initially the reason I drew so many cards, is because I just I thought it was never going to happen, and really it did. And looking at the deck too, people kind of are all over the place whether they're playing Toughness Matters Mm. or they're playing kind of this the Permission Control deck. So it was really all over the place and I I had to focus and find something that really drew me into it too.
1: Yeah, I think that's an important thing to observe. Like the main direction that it is built is not necessarily a direction that you wanted to go with this deck. As you said, you wanted it to be um, more in line with, it will adjust to the power level of whatever everyone else at the table is doing. Mm And I think if I'm being perfectly honest, that itself is yet another surprise, (laughs) Um, is to be able to pull off that type of deck that can, in fact, navigate really well to the energy of the rest of the table, because I think that's one of those, like, the platonic ideal of an EDH deck is that it can fit into many different power levels, but I think we all kind of secretly struggle with that it's actually difficult to not make a deck that like punches way too hard or make a deck that is like kind of a silly theme and then it turns out oh no it doesn't do almost anything at all so the fact that you've threaded that needle with some of your card choices i I think is also very impressive
0: yeah well and the nice thing about it is like i'm able to play a lot of cards that just happen to either i steal stuff from opponents so really the, my deck is only as powerful as their decks are letting me be. And so that's it's kind of a fun little balance that I've, I've gotten to, to strike there, whether it's, I mean, I'm playing stuff like Illusory Ambusher and, That's not really a fancy. Well, it's literally a flashy card because it has flash on it. (laughs) But I'm only drawing so many cards as, you know, people are swinging with their biggest creature at me. So there's a bunch of fun just synergies like that that I've been able to put in there or malleable imposters, a new card that I really have been enjoying playing it because I get to just play around with stuff that opponents are already doing. Mm. And so that's just such a good like a a slider, a, a knob that you can be dialing in. And just adjusting to what do my opponents do and how can I keep up with that, whether it's high power or low power. If I'm not playing with powerful decks,
1: my deck just is kind of going to sit there and just play to that level regardless of what my opponents are doing. Right. That charismatic conqueror in your list is only going to help you make a bunch of tokens if your opponents are trying to make a whole bunch of uh, treasure tokens themselves, for instance. Yeah. Um, and, and there's another way that you've navigated this with other cards like Promise of Loyalty, which is an interesting thing to see, uh, which is a board wipe. I have loved Promise of Loyalty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Promise of Loyalty is a board wipe, but it's a board wipe that's going to keep things, you know, in your favor. And so that's another uh, choice that you've made here is that you're not completely demolishing other people's spirits (laughs) with this deck you're not like playing just the raw efficient stuff you're going to play stuff that eases up a little bit on the gas for other people so that potentially you can even take advantage of what they are going to do with those creatures a little bit later maybe by stealing them or uh, putting goat enchantments on them and things like that so that's a really cool thing to see and matt i'm just so happy that blue finally surprised you enough to have (laughs) this be a a deck that you keep for a while like good for you man it did
0: it did very much surprise me not just the fact that I've kept it around but the fact that I've just it's probably the most fun deck that I have currently I just very much enjoy playing it it's just not something that I really anticipated happening and it kind of sounds a little bit familiar to what you've been talking about a little bit joy when we've been talking you have a band historic deck and I we joked earlier that you don't have any decks with black and <laughs> here it, here it, a deck is a deck without black
1: yeah no that's what I was going to say surprise on my end too um, this, uh, the very, very tail end of last year from all of the, the Doctor Who stuff that we got, I got those pre cons and I was really engaged by the Historic Matters deck, which wasn't a very well put together pre con necessarily. Um, a very intriguing box of magic cards, but man, that deck was all over the place. But I really liked what the Sarah Jane Smith commander would do because whenever you cast a historic spell um, for the first time each turn, she is going to make you a clue. She'll just do that once per turn, but like pretty consistently, you can get a good number of clues because she's only a two mana, two one. Like, it's easy to get her out and then you just play a legend in that deck. But the way that I wanted to go was like, hmm, maybe I can play a couple of artifacts or a couple of things that care about the number of artifacts that you have in play because of all of those clues. I was very intrigued by that. So I paired her up with the sixth doctor. I call the deck Sarah Jane sixth. Um, and I was like, mm, we'll see. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm silly. Um, we'll see if this does anything. I don't know. It doesn't have black in it. So am I really all that intrigued by it? And Matt, let me tell you, yes, I am. It's actually been amazing to play.
0: <laughs> well, and the, the sixth doctor, that's the one that whenever you cast historic spells, you copy it and it, the, the copies aren't legendary too. That's a pretty powerful ability. So it's not like you're kneecapping yourself because you're playing something efficient low to the ground for the
1: partner that's going along with your doctor card. I'm going to be fully honest. The six doctor is just there for like some color identity. I almost, I, I don't, I don't care about him. <laughs> Like it's <laughs> Sorry, Colin Baker, but like the deck is not built around it. The deck is built around it. I just want to have as many clues as possible, which is um probably not what people expect when they would first see those commanders in the command zones. So that's probably a surprise for when I play against people, they expect the whole deck to revolve around the bigger commander, the six doctor, when really it's just like, I just want to have as many artifacts in play because the whole deck is about actually having master of Ethereum, uh, filigree attendant, bronze guard, and things that get bigger equal to the number of artifacts that you have and then like masterful replicating all of those clues into copies of those things that's really what the the deck is actually doing and the most surprising thing about it for me is that it works like my first draft <laughs> of the deck was amazing and i was just like this never happens <laughs> like what is that? like <laughs> i mean so yeah i would be
0: very surprised with myself if i had a deck that version one actually worked that that never happens for me But having played against this deck, Joey, I was surprised how out of hand it got. Because you're right. You think, okay, Joey's going to make a bunch of clues. That's not really that that scary. But then you drop that Master of Ethereum and then you make a couple clones of it.
1: Yeah. And oh, holy cow, Um, we're in danger now. Yeah, Echo Storm copying your artifacts, Sahili's Artistry copying your artifacts, making more of those. Yeah. It's good, man. It's really good. And like, I'd been on the receiving end of like Rise and Shines and Cyber Drive Awakeners turning all of your artifacts into four fours that can then go bash face. And so I knew that those cards were good. I'd never played them myself, though, and I I didn't expect the deck to be quite so consistent at being able to produce game states where those would be lethal. Yeah. So it's been very pleasant surprises all around. I mean, Rise and Shine is
0: one of my favorite cards that I just haven't gotten to make work, so I'm glad that you found a place for it before I have, because I've been trying for a while. That's why I don't play blue. (laughs) Here you are just, just,
1: okay, version one, this works, and Rise and Shine's great. Well, th- and this is just it. This is why it is a surprise for me. Because I'm just like, listen, I'm not sacrificing creatures. I don't know what I'm doing with this deck. And so the fact that it is working the way that I thought it would from like just a, it was just a glimmer of like, a hmm, here's an idea. And then it actually like my first draft is like, OK, it's good. I'm just like, dang, Matt, do I need to play more non-black decks? Because it turns out I might actually have kind of an OK way of funny story. Or- you should actually. Yes. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I guess so. Um, So yeah, my my first foray uh, in a long time into building non-black has been successful. Having historic, basically just a a Bant artifacts deck uh, has been really, really enjoyable. Um, I'm certainly not the only one on the podcast who has an artifacts deck, though. Um, So Matt, maybe maybe it's your turn to talk about artifacts. Had.
0: Had had artifact deck. Um, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> mine, mine did not work at all. And I went through m- Surprise in a bad several way. <laughs> more versions, yes. Yeah. Than uh than you did. Uh, so I used to have uh it, it was an Alubu Ancient Witness deck, and I tried really hard because I, I the pre-constructed deck was pretty good. I mean the the main commander in the on the face of it was great. It's one of the most played Boros Commanders of all
1: time. Yeah, uh, Ozgear the Reconstructor. He's got about 7,200 decks to his name, the third most popular Boros Commander. Um, That was the face commander of that Lorehold deck. Um, Alibu Ancient Witness is significantly less popular. It's actually the ninth most popular Boros Commander uh, at 2,400 decks, which is nice. And that's the uh, one that gives your artifact creatures haste. And then whenever one or more artifact creatures you control attack, Alibu does X damage to any target and you scry X, where X is the number of tapped artifacts you control. Um, heads up, co-editor Chase, a.k.a. Manicers has an Alabou deck. And Matt, I'm going to fully confess to you, uh, that Alabou deck of Chase's surprises me in the good way. Like, that deck slaps. But you did not have good experiences with Alabou. See, I, I think the way that Chase built their
0: deck specifically, that that's a burn deck. It's not an artifacts <laughs> deck. And I wanted an artifact deck. And that's all well and good. But I, I think maybe the, the commander was doing something that I I... Didn't want to do, or I was trying to do something that the commander didn't want to. So maybe it was just a mismatch, but mm. man alive. I tried so stinking hard to make this thing happen. I was playing the cards. If you look at Alibu's page, you're going to see a lot of cards that I was playing like gear per aether grid over 55% of decks are playing that and gear per aether grid. just a great free way to tap your artifacts. You just tap two untapped artifacts to deal one damage to any target. That's a great card. That's exactly what Alibu wants to be doing. But for some reason or other, I just never could get it. And like, there's plenty of ways to make treasures, to make all sorts of different artifact tokens. Kind of like, Joey, your deck was doing. Mm -hmm. But for some reason or other, like nothing ever came together. I would find myself hellbent all the time. And out of the box, like that mana base is atrocious.
1: You have to spend a lot of time upgrading that mana base. I think that this is one of those surprises, uh, it, you know, unfortunately, in the bad way for you. Of uh, but like I, I think you put it best when you said that there was something the commander was after that you weren't after, or something that you were after that the commander necessarily wasn't. There was a mismatch of mm-hmm. uh, what you were uh, tr- sort of going for with that. I think that you're much more of a value player, and as you said, Alibu is really, really good at producing a burn game state. Like that thing can thunder down some opponents very, very quickly. And if that's not the playstyle that you were after, unfortunately, that commander was uh banging real hard on that drum in a way that made it difficult for you to match the same beat um which is why i can imagine it didn't necessarily work out for you the same way that it would work out for other people who are more willing to embrace the burn that that commander uh is going to do well and sometimes the commanders just lie to
0: you outright like everything about (laughs) alibu when you read the card says this is an artifacts deck this this cares about artifacts but really it not really Yes, you you technically need to have artifacts there, but it just wants to burn people out. It doesn't actually care about doing cool things with artifacts. Just put them on the battlefield, find a way to tap them, I guess, you're just going to make one attack and then kill everything
1: i i think maybe the way for us to phrase it is that like it is a burn deck through the lens of artifacts uh rather than artifacts being the end goal in and of themselves is is that maybe the the way to phrase it sure sure <laughs>
0: <laughs> sure we'll he says because we'll he's just so that.
1: over this commander and how it didn't suit his needs i i think
0: it's yeah it, it's it's something that i mean there's a reason that Ozgir is significantly more popular than Alab. i think if you're doing the the Boros artifacts things, which Boros, we it kind of got the reputation as like, oh, will you only ever get to do equipment and artifact things in Boros colors. Well, Osgear's is really doing that the best. Um, Alibu is kind of doing different things. And so putting Alibu into the same pre-constructed deck, it, it, it looks like it would be the right thing to do. But I, I actually think on a very different axis, it, that's not at all. I can't help but wonder if maybe you should build Osgear instead. I thought about it, but Ozgear also is one of the most popular commanders. What's wrong with that? And then I actually just turned... I, well, because I turned it into a different commander. I I, I ah, okay. salvaged p- parts, which is an artifact thing to do, uh, <laughs> from my Alibu deck, and then turned it into a completely different deck altogether. Um, so now I have I have Arden and Kedis instead, which uh,
1: that has been a lot more fun,
0: and that actually does work the way I
1: intended it to do. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe that's the, uh, the, the lesson for us to uh, take away most here is that like... Surprises, or in this case, a surprise disappointment um, is just making sure that like you're you, you actually match up with the energy that the commander is demanding because it, it might not uh, do the thing that you expect it to. It might be operating at a different tempo than what you initially were were after, I suppose.
0: Well, I think one thing, too, is a lot of folks when they're building decks they and i'm very much guilty of this too so don't please don't think i'm like calling people out but they kind of get stubborn and hard-headed about like okay no i wanted to make this deck i'm going to make it work and they kind of brute force it through uh. it's okay to say i brewed a deck and it didn't work i think people are kind of afraid to to accept that about building a new deck is I built it. It was okay. I, I would rather just do something else and then take that deck apart. But also we're commander players. We don't take decks apart. We just accumulate and accumulate. <laughs> and that's why I have so many decks now that like I swore I would never have more than 10.
1: Honestly, I I, I feel you on that. Um, Learning to be okay with taking decks apart has been a a years-long process, and I am happy to be in that stage of my commander-playing career nowadays. Um, But yeah, I've certainly had plenty of experiences like that. Uh, I think when my family was putting together Tasha the Witch Queen, we were really excited, because my mom plays commander, her name is Tasha, and we were like, oh, Tasha! And man alive, we couldn't get that deck to work in a way that we wanted. That was an unfortunate disappointment for us, because what we wanted the deck to do was not really what the deck needs, because, I mean, it's a planeswalker in the command zone that you have to defend, and she needs a certain amount of mill, but not all mill, and then she can be good super late game but you also want to steal stuff and it was just like it was such a mishmash that eventually we were like i think the stuff that we want this commander to do is not the stuff that this commander wants it to do uh so that was also kind of a that one we did not get right on the first try unlike (laughs) my bontasauric deck Well, and it
0: stinks, too, when you have, like, a personal connection like that with a commander. And sometimes, oh, man, I just want to for the
1: novelty of it. And that's when it really stinks, I would say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I've got some examples of commanders that uh, surprised me in the disappointing way, but I think we'll get to them after challenges stats. What do you think, Matt? That's fine. That sounds like a novel idea, Joseph,
0: and I'm glad that you could find an opportunity to segue us in such an appropriate, <laughs> timely fashion.
1: Oh no! Is this the new shtick where I get the segue, but then you appraise it? <laughs> <laughs> And and then we're just ah, tip of the cap to you on this segue, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, ah if it sticks, it sticks. We'll see, we'll see what happens. Much segue, very challenge. All right. <laughs> there's there's so much data on EDA truck, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we gotta disagree and challenge those stats, So we'll be right back after this quick break. Hey, I'm Nolan Sykes, a host of Past Gas, the number one automotive podcast in the world. Every week, my co-hosts, James Pumphrey, Joe Weber, and I bring you some of our favorite stories from the hallowed halls of car history. From the amazing, to the weird, to the utterly unforgettable moments, we cover it all. Join us as we take a look at the wild stories and larger-than-life characters behind legendary cars and car makers. So if you love cars or just like a good story, check out Past Gas by Donut Media, the number one automotive podcast in the world.
0: Well, this week, we had a listener send us an email, which anybody out there can do. Just EDHRECcast at gmail.com. So Emilio Allendez, not Emilio Estevez, not the Mighty Ducks, not Gordon Bombay, but Emilio Allendez sent us an email actually with a very, very good challenge. So Emilio said, hey, guys, I would like to submit a challenge as I see Oger Axonal being played a lot, mostly with a Storm Approach. But a card I don't see is Levon being played in the 99 all that much. And I find Levon is a match made in heaven for that deck. Being able to pump Oger as you cast spells, this seems like a must. Now... Two big cards here, so Odir the deepest might, is two red red for a legendary god with trample. It's a 4-4 that says if you, a red source you control would deal an amount of non-combat damage less than Odir power to an opponent, that source deals damage equal to Odir power instead. Now the important synergy here with Lavon, Cultist of Tiamat, Uh, Lavon's ability of whenever you cast a non-creature spell, target creature gets plus X plus O until end of turn, where X is that spell's mana value. That is absolutely fantastic. If you're playing a Storm Approach, like Emilio points out with these Oger decks, you're going to A get a whole lot of triggers from levon which means you're going to pump up Oger's power to be a significant amount but also if you're just casting a simple spark jolt nobody casts spark jolt and commander but mm-hmm. you might be if you're playing Oger Exonal decks so if you're going to deal one damage it's not just going to de- be one damage it's going to end up being 10 15 by the time your turn's done there's a ton of upside here. I absolutely love this synergy. Emilio thank you so much for your email and thank you for this deep cut. Um, This is a fantastic find.
1: Uh, That's really cool one Emilio. Uh, And and Matt you said that about Spark Jolt. Uh, I I will let you know those one mana one damage things. uh, The first game of the year that I played I saw someone die to a lava dart. a One mana one damage with flashback. Oh my goodness. It it was great. Uh, It was great. But also Matthew real quick before we move on. I just have to say. Yes. I don't think you Uh, can give me crap anymore and i know that the comments are giving me crap too because i say bont weird all right i want to say bont i'm sorry everyone but matt i don't think you can give me crap anymore about that because it's not oger (laughs) external it's pronounced Oger (laughs) ashenil so like pronunciations are hard i know but you can't give me crap about my weird pronunciations anymore all right buddy (laughs) no no so what happened is dana's not here to,
0: to very terribly mess pronunciations up. <laughs> so I'm here to fill in that role today. That's all that happened.
1: Oh, it's a meta joke. I see. Yes. You, just like when you're absent from the show, we have to have really bad dad jokes. When Dana's ab- yeah, absent from yeah. the show, you're like, well, someone needs to say oubliette as obliute. Yeah, and ravenger and just all
0: sorts <laughs> of different weird pronunciations. That's what's really going on here. It's it's not me not knowing how to pronounce these words that I just... uh. Uh-huh. Don't know how to
1: pronounce at all. <laughs> okay. Pronunci- pronunciations are hard and I'm 100 percent Joe. You have a you challenge this
0: week, don't you?
1: <laughs> yes, I do. Alright. I'll move on. <laughs> I would love to hear it. <laughs> I'll move on to my challenge of stats here. Um, this is for an overplayed card in the new Hawkball Merfolk deck, the one that explores all of your Merfolk. That that precon it it it's so good. I don't know if folks have had the chance to play against that, but that that's a su- surprisingly just like a holy Wow, the amount of work that that Hawkball Merfolk precon does is just top tier, really excellently constructed. Um, there is a card in the deck, though, Voral of the Whole Clade, that I think is having a bit of a precon effect here. It's showing up in nearly 40% of Hawkball decks still, and that's the 3 mana 1 4 Merfolk that uh, you can pay 2 mana, tap it, and double the number of counters on one of your things, like one of your creatures that has been exploring and presumably getting some plus 1 counters. So we get why it's in the deck, and the fact that it is a Merfolk that is also going to explore with Hawkball's trigger, that's cool. But I would really recommend taking this one out and finding room for something else that helps support the more go-wide feel that that deck is after. This does double counters, but I think you want something that helps support the team of merfolk rather than just one individual merfolk if you can give the team evasion or something like that. And even if you do want to double counters, there are just a lot of other cards in these colors that will help you do that. And those cards don't have summoning sickness like Voril does, like Solidarity of Heroes for example. You can strive that one to hit multiple creatures and that one's pretty immediate, Immediate. you can even use it as a combat trick. I just think that some of those effects might be better if you do want to double counters, but I also don't think that you need to focus on doubling counters on an individual creature the way that Voril does, because in that deck, if you get a big enough board and you can give them all like flying or something like that, you're going to do way more damage that way. So that is my challenge, an overplayed card in those new Hawkball Merfolk decks.
0: It's so a good, good challenge there, Joey. It's uh, just efficiency at this point in 2023. It it feels weird saying Varel just hasn't aged well because Varel was a monster back in my day. Efficiency, you say? Efish? Yes. Efficiency? Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> Anyways, Joey, let's let's get out of here. So you said you had a commander that you built that kind of left you wanting by the time you got done with it. Let's hear about this deck.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. This one definitely fits the topic because it did surprise me. It surprised me how much I hated it. Um. I, I just I okay. Not. Okay. Strong words. I, remember original Chainer. That's the monoblade. You can pay three mana to get a creature back from your graveyard. This has Joey written all over it. Right. Like. I, it, just resurrect creatures from your graveyard. There are some interesting things that you can do with that. It like turns them into nightmares, and if Chainer dies, then you'll exile the nightmares, but you can just sacrifice them. You have a bunch of different sacrifice outlets in these colors, so you don't have to worry about that. I was like, oh man, this is going to be my mono black deck. I love this. It'll even be good with all of my Cabal coffers, making extra black mana. I thought it was going to be so cool. But Matt, the deck is just get Grey Merchant of Asphodel in and out of the graveyard as many times as possible, and top dang was that repetitive so I really hated that deck because it was just the same thing every game and I'm really sad about it but that's
0: just every reanimator deck I thought it's just Grey Merchant is the only thing you ever reanimate
1: that in show No, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be, Matt. And I've I've been building other reanimator decks this year that like aren't just those the same creature over and over again. Like ultimately, the thing that Chainer reminded me of most was Feather. Okay, okay. Uh, like the Boros Commander, where you're playing the same spell over and over again. And that's a deck that I just stopped playing and eventually took apart, because and just that repetitive gameplay, it started to get under my skin. And I just wasn't reaching for that deck as much. And I was just like, I never thought that I would dislike a reanimator deck. But man, this one just didn't sing to me at all. Yeah, well, it, and it's sometimes
0: those super linear decks. Just sometimes you, you do the thing once or twice. And then after a while, you're like, oh, this is all it's ever really going to do. Um, I know Miss Angie Falconroth. Um, <laughs> that's kind of the same thing. That, that deck really is designed only to do one thing. And it's play angie falcon wrath and then turn through your entire deck on that one turn sometimes those kind of decks like they're fun i absolutely love a glass cannon deck every now and then but then also yeah i need some variety out of it too
1: yeah exactly that and i expect also like at higher power levels the streamlining of that deck is in fact going to be a huge asset for you it's just that's not the the environments that i was looking to play that deck that's not what i wanted my mono black deck to be so this one wound up just i i built it and i was like awesome oh no
0: yeah, yeah, you, you get you get to do the thing. It was really fun, but I don't need to
1: do that thing anymore. Yeah, exactly. I've gotten everything out of this that I think I could after a single game, and I was like, ah, dang. So yeah, that was one of my unfortunate surprise deck building experiences. I, I, I've been there. I ate oysters one time. Never again. <laughs> okay.
0: Never again. Okay, move on to one of your examples. What a what a weird story. <laughs> yeah, so I recently got to play one of the pre-constructed decks from Wilds of Eldraine. And now, Joey, we, we love pre-constructed decks here for Commander on, on the show. We talk about it every year, or every episode. Yeah, absolutely. And they've been bangers this past year, yeah. They, they've they been so good. And so, the Elavir of the Wild Court is one of those decks. I got to play it. I took it out of the box. I didn't even sleeve it. I just riffle shuffled it. No sleeves needed. It was absolutely great. But, oh my goodness, <laughs> this deck, as soon as you unwrap it, goes so stinking hard and you get to do so many just wildly powerful things out of the box i was floored how great this deck worked and that isn't even to say that the other pre-cons at the table weren't also doing things but oh my goodness i just could not contain myself with what this deck did
1: Oh, yeah. Elevier the Wild Court, Selesnia, 4-4, Human Knight. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, you get a virtuous roll attached to a creature you control, uh, another creature, so it can't be on uh, Elevier. But the virtuous rolls are so good. Those, the, those token enchantments that give the enchanted creature 1-1 plus one, plus one for each enchantment you control. And Elevier says, whenever enchanted creature you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> yes, that, that looks mighty powerful to keep making those things every time that Elevier attacks. It's absolutely silly. Like, it turns out that, I mean,
0: giving everybody effectively ethereal armor, which is played in almost 53,000 decks anyways. <laughs> that's an, it's just a crazy number. So putting those types of tokens onto creatures all over the place, that is an absolutely silly ability. Like it, It's an enchantment deck, but holy cow, you just get to go so wide with your enchantments and then just give it, like, if they get rid of one of your creatures... You just put another one the next turn on a different creature.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This thing slaps just right out of the box. It absolutely does, and that's a lovely surprise to see. Is just like the construction of those decks being so fantastic is awesome. Because I don't know, we remember the days of like precons being kind of not great, and there are mm-hmm. still some decks that come out with like sloppy mana bases, like the Sliver precon and stuff like that. um But, or but like, is like, like-, <laughs> like the Lorehold precon that. Shout out to it's eight, eight minutes ago. That precon was built around Osgir, not around I, it, So I mean, It very much was. Well, Matt, as long as we're talking about pre-cons that uh, were an awesome surprise, uh, I, I, I gotta say, one right out of the box that gave me a huge surprise was Faldorn. <laughs> Faldorn, the Dreadwolf Herald. Yeah. That deck yeah. was bonkers. Just utterly bonkers. Uh, that was the, giving you two-two wolves every time you play a card or like lands enter from exile. Holy th- shoot, that deck is... But like it's making like ten wolves a turn. That thing was grows just out of the box, and it was awesome to see. <laughs> it was it was so wild to see
0: what that that dorn deck was doing. I I got to play. We were at an event, and I got to play against the Spike Feeders friends. Um, so Alex from the Spike Feeders was playing just literally in front of us, unwrapped a dorn deck, and it, that deck had been out for a little bit by the time we were at this event. But holy cow! Like it, that set wasn't just about Prosper playing things from
1: exile. Faldorn goes hard. And honestly, I think Prosper is probably the reason why Faldorn was such a surprise to not just me, but to a lot of the people that have seen play against it and have played against it a lot. Because like I think Prosper was looming large in everyone's head as like the de facto uh, commander that cares about playing stuff from Exile because it was so popular. It's still so, so popular. It's one of the most popular commanders. That thing Mm -hmm. is just a Mm -hmm. value engine. It's so, so good. And so when people saw Feldorn, I think they were like, eh, you know, Prosper's already like, uh, Prosper's really good. And so I'm probably going to pay more attention to that one because how good can Feldorn really be by comparison? Turns out very. Turns out real good. (laughs) Yeah, it's so...
0: Man, just how good some of these pre-constructed decks have gotten just they're they're not just very good at doing what they want that thing to be but the thing that they're doing has gotten into a state where like oh this is actually a really fun deck to play it's not doing yes there is a similar line between Faldorn and Prosper but Faldorn's doing it on different axes like you're just clogging up the battlefield and then turning things sideways and, and there's a lot of overlap between Prosper and Faldorn whether it's Lelia, the blade reforged and light up the stage those types of cards those impulse draw spells but those are just great in a majority of decks anyways and so seeing that they they're doing yes a similar thing but how they're doing them very differently in the execution of it that's what I really like seeing especially from pre-constructed decks
1: that's just it like frankly I think that that pre-con and also the elevator like they're doing things that like I'd be shocked to see in a Game of Commander where someone has like souped up their deck. Like if I just see that in any game of commander, I'm like, oh dang, oh wow, oh goodness. But like the fact that it was also like that experience from a pre-con. I was just like, I'm not used to that. And I'm so happy right now to see that like that's the stage that we've gotten to with some of those pre-cons when they are that lovingly crafted.
0: Oh, for sure. And and I, I do think that eventually we we might get to a point of diminishing returns pre-constructed decks have gotten a little wordy lately like like there's just a lot and
1: just that's just magic cards in general there's a lot of words on (laughs) cards these days (laughs) this is definitely true definitely true but it's it's been a, a delight to see um and you know what? Real quick, as long as we're talking about precons, I also want to shout out another precon that uh, surprised me. Not playing against it, uh, but the Baracos uh, precon was also a surprise to me because I didn't expect to care about it. Yeah, because uh, I I have you play you played that deck a lot. Yeah, yeah, I got I happened to get that one. I was like, all right, sure, I'll give it a shot. And then I played it, and I was like, oh. Oh, do I? Oh, am I in love? Oh, I think I love this. I think I actually love trying to put this whole party thing together because it does the opposite of that Chainer problem for me. It was a different puzzle every single turn. It gave me that variety of gameplay yeah, yeah. on a turn-by-turn basis. And so that one was also a pleasant surprise where I was just like, I didn't think I cared about the party mechanic. And then I played it and I was like, I love the party mechanic.
0: Well, and I remember the last few times that we've gotten to play together, Joey, will we'll, everybody will be kind of talking like, ah, I'm kind of feeling like this kind of game, this kind of game. And more often than not, i like, I'm also feeling like playing Barakos because it's just fun. You mentioned that deck a lot, and it's kind of funny to watch because when you have as many decks as we do and Dana has, Mm. when you keep going back to one specific deck, that means something's really standing out. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So, Matt, um, we've been talking for a good chunk of the show about some of the decks that we ourselves have played or built in the way that they surprised us. Yeah. But, you, you know, you were just talking about having played against the Barakos deck. I talked about playing against your council deck. We talked about playing against the Feldorn deck. Let's maybe focus for the show about, like, Decks that surprised us from across the table, not just our own, like our own playing them and deck brewing, but like, what are the decks that surprised you recently that you've played against? Well, so I'll, I'll take your question and give you a question back. Um, have you
0: played against any of these transformers commanders? All of them are. Yes. Yes. There's first off, there's so many words on these commanders, but also
1: they do so many things and they're all powerful. Yeah, we played against um, Kurohitsuki's uh, Optimus Prime deck. Oh my goodness, this thing is just unkillable because uh, the living metal side is just like n- almost never a creature at the times that you like really need to exile a creature. And then the, the front half says that if it dies, return it to the battlefield converted. So like you just can't
0: freaking kill this thing. <laughs> it, it is absolutely impossible to get rid of, at least in even like a semi-permanent type of way. You have to like truly shut it down. And it's so frustrating, but also... It does so many powerful things that sometimes it just doesn't matter anymore.
1: Beginning of each end step, it gives away plus one counters. That's every single end step. That's just like it got it such a huge board so fast. Yeah, playing against this one, uh, it surprised me in the frustrating way. Um, but it was a good type of frustrating. Like it was an uphill battle, and that was an enjoyable commander game.
0: Well, and, and it's funny too, because it's Optimus Prime Hero, uh, you're the villain of the table because everybody has to gang up on you to bring you down. But also <laughs> I, I, I've seen Flame War Brash Veteran a couple times. That was a very interesting puzzle. Also, just the the living weapon more than meets the eye type of that that mechanic. It's just hard to play around for sure. Um, But Joey, I know also you made Starscream Power Hungry. It's in a deck of yours and it closes games super fast. Have you gotten to play with any of
1: them? Well, I think the the slicer hired muscle that one probably took a lot of folks um, by storm. I guess because that one turned out to be like a CEDH commander <laughs> because of the yeah like wild way that it like goads itself. You give it away to other people and it can't be sacrificed, and so like you're dealing a lot of commander damage all at once with that thing. Uh, so that one definitely took a lot of people by surprise. And I- I've seen it in a game and have been like, "Ooh, that's paunchy. Yeah. Um, and then I've also played against um, when I uh, have gotten the chance to hang out with the professor uh, to learn community college and. Some of his employees. uh, One of them has a Megatron Tyrant deck, which is a a Mardu robot bonkersness stuff. It it makes so much mana uh, for each life that it is making your opponents lose. And that one also, I remember, struck a really heavy chord with me. I'm just like, oh, you're oh, you have all of the mana in the world actually, and I. There's not a dang thing I'm going to be able to do. But hey, do we all need to work together to take down Megatron? Is this like genuinely an episode of a Transformers cartoon right now? Uh, so both of those especially made a big impact on me.
0: Yeah, I've, I've had several folks suggest to play Slicer Hired Muscle now instead of Valda, Keeper of the Flame. I don't know if I can make that change, uh, but certainly Slicer, it's very tempting. The most popular Transformers Commander, over 3,400 decks. Like there, there's a whole bunch going on there. But these all have just been fairly popular and they're doing just some really cool things despite i mean some people don't love the universes beyond i totally get that but they're still adding a lot of really cool things to the game
1: I, i'll definitely say the art style on these does have a big disconnect for me so like very I, jarring i will agree yeah i feel that but i'm also using Starscream in my bubble of saga deck and it's won me a lot of games because those cards are really good so uh, you know i'm uh, the, so it goes uh but yeah, those those are a great thing to to note as like stuff that we've played against that gave us a really big surprise. Um I'll shout out one that might be a might be also contentious, I don't know. There are a lot of strong opinions about the initiative. And listen, I understand. I don't play one off initiative cards in my deck because inviting the initiative into a game, it's a lot of bookkeeping. But in my family meta, we have a Rilsa-Rael kingpin deck where the whole deck is about the initiative. Um, and we've had a lot of fun with that one. And holy crap, that deck also is a big surprise to me. That it, it, It's wild because Rilsa will get through a dungeon very, very fast with all the blue blink and all of the panharmonicon stuff that you can do with all those creatures that enter and send you through that initiative dungeon. And like the rooms on that dungeon are really, really good. Uh, So Rilsa is another one that I have to also shout out here as a thing that I've played against a lot. And even though the initiative is itself also a lot, when you have a deck dedicated to it, it's really good. And that deck was barely 50 bucks to throw together and it wins a lot of games.
0: I mean, if we want to talk about decks that can't be that expensive but win a lot of games. Uh, one of our moderators, another moderator in our Discord server, uh, Chris. If you figure out what Chris's decks are doing, it is too late. You are already dead. And, and Two <laughs> yeah. of two of Chris's decks. Uh, Chise Heart of Oceans, which is at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice Chise Heart of Oceans unless you remove a counter from a permanent you control. So I, I know that Chris loves to say it's an Ursa's Saga deck, <laughs> but it does so many other things that it, it, it's so wild that just all the different permanents that you want to take counters off of it, it's so impressive and I, I imagine the deck is like eight dollars but also quintorious field historian another one that just the deck is a full of uncommons but if you realize oh
1: that's that's the plan there's already like 15 3-2 spirits on the battlefield Oh, yeah. Quintorius is also fantastic. And I haven't just played against uh, Chris's deck, but also I've played against uh, listener Quintorius decks. And just like Feldorn, that one also surprises me. It was just like, holy shoot, you made like 10 tokens a turn. Because whenever one or more cards leave your graveyard, Quintorius will make a 3-2 red and white spirit creature token. And Quintorius buffs them. Uh, Yeah, that's a great shout. Uh, The folks that I've played against with a Quintorius deck, I'm always like wait what (laughs) like when i see what it can do uh because it's such a simple unassuming line of text but the amount of stuff that you're actually able to make happen especially with cards like currency converter which exile a bunch of cards like one at a time when you discard them it feeds so nicely in with other red forms of like uh those discard effects to draw and things like that so oh it's a joy to play against and see it pop off in the way that it actually can
0: yeah it's just when a deck finally gets to do the thing that it wants to do, it's, it can be super, super impressive. And I, I just love that they're giving people access to doing so many different types of things that you just can be
1: in, in enabling with all these different commanders. There, there are a bunch of other things that I want to shout out because, like, we've seen so many cool decks, uh, like just like playing at events and stuff like that. And honestly, there are so many, too many to name. And I just, I just want to shout out. It's just like, oh, I played against someone's Yargol and Multani deck, which was a pacifist deck, and like it was. it it was terrific. Like, I don't know how they even made that work, but it was fantastic. They never attacked with it once, but it still won a bunch of games, and that was so cool. Or i played against a listeners Zerzoth deck, which does a bunch of random stuff, and I I could not possibly keep up with it until it was too late, when they suddenly slammed down a damage doubler and then sacrificed a bunch of devils. And I was like, what is this doing? Oh, Matt, there are so many more that I want to name, but like, ah! I mean, it's, it's really hard to just say only
0: a few, but we only have so much time here, for one. But for two, yeah, it's... It's really fun when we get to talk about decks that we're like, okay, that seems okay, whatever. And then it actually just the the deck just just gets to do all these different cool things. It's very exciting. and, and, And that's honestly one of the reasons that we're even here doing the podcast and playing the game because we get to do all these different exciting and surprising things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like when someone played a a Ruth, mercurial artist deck and it was an, is it mill deck? Sorry, Matt, I said I would stop, but I, I, yeah, you said you would stop.
0: We, we, we need, we, it was, is it mill, Matt? Like I just, there are so many cool examples. People are really clever. It's true. It's true. Well, you know what else is clever? Me stealing the segue. I know that's a, it's so 2023, (laughs) but for the sake of time, we got to get out of here. So Joey, where can everybody find you on the social media?
1: Oh, man, this is this this is weird. It's weird for me to go before you go. I don't I don't care for that at all. Uh, But you can find me at Joseph M. Schultz online if you would like to find me being a fool, uh, probably on Instagram or something like that. And if you'd like to uh, contact us, you can do so at edhretcast at gmail.com or just find us anywhere online at edhretcast. And you can find me on pretty much any social media platform at Mathemus 55
0: doing all the different social media things. Um, It's the same pretty much on any platform.
1: Uh, I'm not writing articles or anything like that, but Joey, what are we doing? We're, we're here. Also, folks will be able to find us at the MagicCon in Chicago in February, so come find us and play some games. Uh, we we are delighted to see even more surprising decks from all of you because that's really what we've learned doing this podcast is that folks have some really, really clever decks that do um, amazing, cool, astonishing stuff out there, and it's awesome to see them unfold. Uh, we also want to thank Chase, a.k.a. Manacurves, for their amazing work on the post-production of the show. You can find Chase online at Manacurves. And Matt can't steal this segment away from me listeners we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights but until then remember edh wreck your deck before you wreck your deck